Hello, hello. Welcome to episode five of Words with Writers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Canadian Authors Association, Toronto branch. We are a membership-based organization for writers in all levels, areas, and genres of the writing profession. We are your hosts, Chris Gorman and Brandy Tanner. Welcome back, our beloved listeners. We have lots to share with you today. We'll start with Canadian Authors Toronto's upcoming events, other exciting virtual events happening soon, and as always, some contests for you to consider submitting to. Then we have not one, but two new members here to read from their work, Ellen Marie Francisco and Renee M. Scroy. Our featured interview this month is with two amazing women that Chris and I know well, the co-presidents of our Toronto branch, Lee Parpart and Jeannie F. Gerard. And then we'll finish it all off with the news from our members. Sure sounds like we have a full episode today, Brandy, so let's get to it. We're happy to report that Canadian Authors Toronto's regular monthly programming is back after a short summer break. We begin with a chance for Author Toronto members to present their work. Join us on September 22nd for a virtual open mic night via Zoom from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Up to 17 members will have the opportunity to read, whether fiction, nonfiction, or poetry. Wow, fellow members, with your current work in progress or finished material that you are trying to get published. While you must be an Authors Toronto member to give a reading, attendance is free and open for all. Registration is required, so please sign up at canadianauthors.org slash Toronto slash events. That registration is for attendance only. So if you do wish to participate by reading, please email us ASAP at topresident1 at canadianauthors.org. Chris and I are both registered to attend that one, so we hope to see you all there. The webinars offered by Canadian Authors National will start up again soon. And when we have the details of the next session, we will be sure to share them with all of you. In the meantime, there are many other terrific organizations hosting fabulous events throughout September and October to keep you busy. One big event Canadian Authors has participated in over the years is the Word on the Street Book and Magazine Festival, also known as WOTS. Although it will look quite different this year, as it's being held virtually for the first time ever, we will have our own virtual booth at the Toronto show on September 26th and 27th. The Word on the Street Lethbridge is happening today, Saturday, September 19th, and the Saskatoon Festival is tomorrow. Watts also has several series occurring, including Words Across Canada and City Imagines 2020. So check out thewordonthestreet.ca for all the details, or our event calendar at canadianauthors.org. There are so many virtual festivals going on right now, it's impossible to tell you about all of them. For instance, there's the Kingston Writers' Fest, with more than 20 separate events throughout September 23rd to 27th, and the Fold Kids Book Fest from September 26th to October 4th. The fall is such a big time for writing events and festivals that we would have to do a whole show entirely about events just to go over them all. Isn't that the truth? Chris, I do have to mention one last event because it's held by my own home province of Nova Scotia. The Afterwards Literary Festival was founded in Halifax, Nova Scotia and will host live events online between September 30 and October 4th, so even our Toronto members can join in this year. Afterwards is primarily interested in presenting conversations among writers about the ideas that push them forward, the experiences that form them into writers, and what writing can tell us about how to be human. Their mission is to give writers the very best experience that Halifax has to offer, and they are dedicated to presenting authors from across a wide spectrum of background and experience with a commitment to panel parity that broadly reflects gender, race, and ability. That sounds amazing, Brandy. 
I'm really excited to be able to attend that this year, virtually. Me too. I'd love to go back home for it, but since that's not going to happen this year, <laughs> I'll attend online instead. It's a whole new world. So these events and more are on our event calendar at canadianauthors.org. Moving on to contests, we have the Tom Howard slash Margaret Reed Poetry Contest, which is being offered by winning writers and their co-sponsor, Duotrope. The poetry can be any style or theme with a maximum of 250 lines per poem. The entry fee is $15 per poem, and the deadline is September 30th, 2020. The winner of the Tom Howard Prize goes to a poem in any style or genre and will receive $3,000. The winner of the Margaret Reed Prize is for a poem that rhymes or has a traditional style and is also for $3,000. We also have the seventh annual Fred Cogswell Award for Excellence in Poetry presented by the Royal City Literary Arts Society. Open to Canadian writers who have had a poetry book published in English in 2019, the length must be a minimum of 60 pages. The deadline for submissions is October 1st, 2020. The entry fee is $25, and the prizes range from $100 for third place, $250 for second place, and $500 for the first place winner. Thanks, Chris. That sounds like some great opportunities for our poets out there. And that brings us to the guest portions of our show. So please get ready, get comfortable, get whatever beverage you prefer, and here come our readers and our interview. Today we have a special treat for our listeners with guests Ellen Marie Francisco and Renee M. Scroy reading from their work and Canadian Authors Toronto co-presidents Jeannie Gerard and Lee Parpart talking to us about Canadian Authors Toronto. Up first, please join us in welcoming new member Ellen Marie Francisco here to share her excerpt from her new novel Catastrophic Expectations, Sex, Love, and the Pursuit of Marriage. And just a short disclaimer, Ellen's piece is just slightly sexier than we're used to on the show. So if you do have anyone of a sensitive and inquisitive age listening with you, you may wish to put on some headphones. Ellen was born and raised in Toronto. An early career in film development and production led her to Hollywood. She has worked as a photographer for Cirque du Soleil, a fan mail response writer, and a proofreader for Sidney Sheldon, and as a copywriter for Knightsbridge Publishing. Her first short story, Depart Baltimore, won a Writer's Digest honorable mention, and Good Girl's Guide to County Jail for the Bad Girl in Us All was a finalist for the 2018 American Book Awards. She lives in Ontario with her two children, and a chihuahua named Piglet. Welcome, I Ellen. Love, hi, Ellen. I love your chihuahua's name. <laughs> Thank <Welcome>. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'll do an excerpt from my book, Catastrophic Expectations, Sex, Love, and the Pursuit of Marriage. I want the rip the donut hole center out of the donut and eat it kind of love that fills me up with a bittersweet gift of life. I realize this as I sit across from Jake. I am tempted by his eyes and the fine line of his jaw, his eyes the color of honey. I want to swim in that gooey honey place and spread my arms apart in a glorious salute to love, swim and slither, suspended in the sticky weightlessness of it all. I am watching him. The way the fork enters his mouth, first over his lips, a flash of tongue as he tastes it. Seeing him now, I want to fall and fall and fall. I notice how strong his jaw is, appreciate his strength of body. He can't catch all the languini heading for his mouth. Strands spill out and fall back to his plate, eluding his bite. Oh, 
Things aren't so dreamy suddenly. I could never be with a man who eats linguine like this, I insist to myself, indignant. He isn't even aware of the way he's chewing, sucking it up into his mouth like it were meaningless, letting it fall back to his plate without recourse. I debate silently over whether I want to go through the motions of getting to know him. I know looking at him, it isn't going to work. I'd let my guard down. He'd impress me for about as long as it would take to bake my Creole chicken, which I decided I wouldn't be baking for him, and then it'd be done. The dishes would be cleared. The meal would be over. I could never be with a man who eats linguine like this. I knew he'd make love to me that way, sloppily. He'd probably have a problem with premature ejaculation or never take the time to discover that I'm orgasmic multiplied. My heart is heavy with this realization. I can feel it in my stomach along with the lunch I'd already eaten. It weighs against me, sadness. I breathe it in and out, exhaling heavily, trying to let it pass. I didn't even notice I'd stopped eating. I prayed silently to the food gods as I watched him lift his fork to his mouth again and chew. My heart is in my tongue as I silently mouth the words. Hear my prayer, food gods, please. God and goddesses, don't let him start talking with his mouth full. I'll make a scene and run right out of here and he'll have to pay for lunch. That was awesome. It was, uh, it's very, um, it's very visual. <laughs> well, very funny. I, I, I'm glad I was on mute because I had to giggle a few times. <laughs> well, what was funny is, you know, this book, um, I only came about because a book that I'd written that was called Moon Over Mandeville, I called it a coming of new age novel. And it was a very spiritual thing. It was, it was like a, it was a fun poke at spirituality, but this publisher rejected it. And they wrote me a rejection letter saying, you know, um, it's, it's good. It's a little meandering. It's not quite for us. We like stuff that's frothy and sexy with lots of metaphors, you know? So mm. I took that information and I just went, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll write something like sexy with food. I'll create some characters like crazy about food, you know, we'll make it extreme. So, and then, you know, they're the same publisher that decided they wanted to publish it. So it was, it was kind of cool, you know? I was like, I gave them what they wanted and they published it. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, for all the rejection I've had, I could have done that sooner, I guess, but. <laughs> I love that character is like, oh no, he chews like that? I'm not doing that. Because <laughs> right. you know, I've had those moments where you watch somebody and go, oh no, this isn't happening. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Well, thank you, Ellen, for yeah, that lovely thank reading. You. That was so fun. Oh, we did need to ask where our listeners can buy your work. You know what? What's great is it's on Amazon.com. It's going, to, it is on Indigo.com as well, or Indigo.ca. You can order it. The Kindle version is currently available everywhere. And the hardcover will be available September 30th. And that, I believe, is when Indigo opens up their channel. And they will be carrying it in select Ontario stores. They just haven't told me which ones yet. So I hope to know that in the next couple of days. Awesome. Great. Well, we'll and make I... sure we keep our listeners posted. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, it was fun. Let's put our hands together for our next guest, Renee M. Scroy. Renee has just published a new collection of poetry, Life Print in Points through Urbace Press. Renee M. Scroy won runner-up in this year's Urbace Poetry Prize, and her debut poetry collection, Life Print in Points, was recently published in the UK by Urbace Press. Her poetry has appeared in the League of Canadian Poets Poetry, Pause, as well as in their Fresh Voices, and in journals, including the Bella Vaux Review, The Bannister, Cineresis, and The Prairie Journal. In 2018, she edited the anthology, Written Tenfold by Poetry Friendly Press. She is the past president of the Brooklyn Poetry Society, holds a PhD from the University of Toronto, and believes that some of the best things in life include an espresso with a side of cannoli. Welcome to the show, Renee. Welcome, Renee. And that's what I believe as well. <laughs> <laughs> Friends by proxy and cannoli. Yeah, they look awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. 
Thank you so much, Chris and Brandy. It's very exciting to, to be on the program and to be here and have the opportunity to read. So uh, I'm going to read uh, first the title poem from the collection, Life Printing Point. And one thing I'd just like to explain um, as I'm reading, um, I do mention f-stops in the uh, poem. Uh, and the f-stop refers to the size of the aperture in a camera. Um, and as the numbers get bigger, the aperture size actually gets smaller. So I just want to clarify that before I begin reading the poem. Okay, so life print in point. One, 43.91 degrees north. If you draw a line, the colors begin to flow. It is an oculus, a cyanide green of fields so heavy. It is a burden and the weight is death in focus. A shudder transforms, transfixes through that pinprick hole of a blue-black, a field by which we're grounded, open in fluctuating compass points, and flattened, rendered prone, as rolled out maps, a point of interest and a single dot, an O, an unclosed mouth, exhaling. 2. F16. If you draw a line from A to B, you'll find a fixed point, a whole geography, a helios, of f-stops, of train tracks, and fingertips bound for minutes. A camera clicks, and in the caverns, hindsight through oculus. A people expands and tunnels vision, as heavy as light, its narrows bend, its circumference. Three, F-22. All lines are drawn in black and white, as words on pages, we squeeze ourselves through. Images expressed in laser pixels, inside each other's worlds, a layout and topography. Black lines as border crossings, we spot through telescopic lenses, lingering. Four, 78.87 degrees west. And when the colors flow, we say, it is black and white and therefore more precise. Perceiving through absence is looking through the past. A negative in hindsight is negative, an underlay and precise as death in focus. A shutter transforms, capturing light. That's beautiful, Renee, thank you. Very nice reading, thank oh, you. Thank you, thank you. I, I love the way it's the, the F stops and the directions. Yeah, that's very neat. I thought that was cool. Thanks. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, and I believe, Renee, you have a second piece you'd like to read for us. Yes, I do. So the second piece uh, is called X House. Uh, it was first published in the Bannister in 2018. Um, and it actually came out of a workshop with Shannon Webb Campbell. So X House. I am exploring architecture. I am figuring intent. I am tracing dry facades. I am pouring wet cement. I am staring at a window. I am wandering through rooms. I am laughing at my shadows. I am massing at my gloom. I am glazing walls and door frames. I am measuring the ground. I am thinking of a sonnet. I am sobbing in its sound. I am nailing floorboard planks. I am breathing in their glow. I am begging for you barefoot. I am planing what I owe. I am dancing in the kitchen. I am drinking down my lust. I am excavating stone tears. I am sweeping out my dust. I am carving to see daylight. I am scaling for today. I am exploring architecture. I am building out a way. Wow, that, that was gorgeous. I, I really liked that poem. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Beautiful poem. What would you say is the, the best avenue for people to follow you and your continued writings? They can check out my blogs. I blog monthly on my website. I do have an Instagram account, so I, you can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter. I do have a Facebook author page, so you can find me there. So all the sort of typical social media avenues. To purchase a copy of Renee's latest work, please reach out to her directly. Great. Thank Bye. you so much being with us today. Thanks, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.
Wow, Brandy, the readings by Renee and Ellen were both excellent. Yeah, Chris, we're thrilled to welcome both Ellen and Renee to the Canadian Authors Association, and we're excited to see their careers as authors continue to develop. Absolutely. It's always great when new members join Canadian Authors Toronto and add their ideas to the group. And it makes us so happy to be able to help boost their work and their writing careers. Now, if you've been following along with our podcast so far, you'll know that Canadian Authors Toronto took the months of July and August off from our regular programming. But we're back with an exciting open mic series happening next week and an awesome event lined up for October, which is why we are excited to sit down next with our co-presidents, Lee Parpart and Jeannie Garrard. Lee Parpart is a former journalist and film academic who now works as an editor for Iguana Books in Toronto. She returned to creative writing after a hiatus in 2016 and has won several awards, including an Emerging Writer Award for Short Fiction from Open Book Ontario, an honorable mention in Negative Capability Press's 2020 Spring Poetry Contest, first place in ARC Poetry Journal's first ever Award of Awesomeness in May 2020, and second place in the Eden Mills Writers Festival's Spring 2020 Poetry Contest. Lee wrote a video file column for the Globe and Mail and published widely in the field of film studies before returning to creative writing. Her poetry, short fiction, and literary criticism have since appeared in multiple Silver Birch Press publications and in the Poetics Journal's Periodicities and 17 Seconds, as well as on the websites of Art Poetry Magazine, Negative Capability Press, and Tupelo Press. Jeannie Garrard is the founder of Dark Helix Press, deputy editor for Rice Paper Magazine, and an assistant editor for Amazing Stories Magazine. She is an editor and writer of speculative fiction and nonfiction. Her contributions to business, diversity, and health subjects have been published in Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, Moneyish, Monster.com, Women's Health and Cosmopolitan, among others. Her latest stories can be found in the Brave New Girls Adventures of Gales and Gizmos, Blood is Thicker, and the We Shall Be Monsters Frankenstein anthologies. Her story, The Blue Sun, is a winner of the Chinillo Short Story Contest for August 2020. Welcome to the show, Lee and Jeannie. Thanks so much for having us. This is great. Yay, we're excited to be here. We're super excited to have the two of you. We thought it would be great to have you on and hear directly from you about what Canadian Authors Toronto is and why you think it's such an amazing group to belong to. So Lee and Jeannie, what made the two of you decide to take on the mantle of leadership for the group? I can probably take that. Just, I think I was the one who recruited Jeannie. Just personally, you know, when I came back to creative writing in 2016, after basically 15 years in journalism and academe, I, I knew that it was going to be really important to have a community of writers to help, you know, make up for all the years that I spent not doing what I love best, which is writing poetry and fiction. So I, I had already spent a couple of years volunteering for Editors Toronto, um, coordinating their monthly program meetings. And from there, it was a short leap to thinking that it would be a really good idea to get involved in a writing association. And coincidentally, at the same time, I found out from my employer at Iguana Books, who was also good friends with the executive director of Canadian Authors Association, Anita Purcell, found out that the Toronto branch was temporarily without leadership. Um, was defunct, basically, and needed, you know, the breath of life. So I think it was a situation where the former presidents had moved out of Toronto and no one had taken their place. So I, while still working for Editors Toronto, volunteered to get the branch going again and started basically pulling together a group of other writers, and including some friends and, and some new friends, including Brandy, who was in on that initial <laughs> call of people to work on the exec, to try and get this thing started again. And um, as part of that, I knew that I wanted Jeannie because she had one of the most 
wonderful short stories in this anthology that I worked on. It was the very first project I worked on when I got hired at Iguana Books. It was called Blood is Thicker, an excellent and underrated collection of 18 short stories by up-and-coming writers of short fiction in Canada. And Jeannie had this really cool, moving, weird story about a family of robots. And it just felt, it left me, it really touched my heart, actually. And I thought, I have to meet this woman. Like, and, and then I looked at her bio, and I realized that she was on fire with her, you know, with all of what she had already done in her life. You know, she's not, she, she's like a young woman. She's got a degree in nuclear medicine and also has been working towards her undergrad in creative writing, has her own publishing company, uh, Dark Helix Press. And I just thought there's like, there's no way I can handle relaunching this branch without somebody, without a force to be reckoned with like Jeannie. So she said yes. And then a bunch of us came together and just started putting together, okay, what would it look like if we wanted to create our own writing community for our own purposes and for the benefit of everybody else who wants to join us, what would it look like? And it's just been a two-year process of getting that going. Excellent answer. Yeah. And I, I was there at the beginning and um, the, the two of you did an amazing job at bringing together an amazing group of people. So we've made a lot of progress since those days. Sounds amazing. Uh, and I might add, Toronto branch just became the uh, the largest membership in the country. So oh, we beat you've done well. Yeah, Vancouver yeah. was ahead of us, and that, but we've been gradually gathering members. Can I ask Jeannie if she can say why she said yes? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, let's see. When I met you, I was doing volunteer work for the Asian Canadian Writers Workshop, but they're in Vancouver. So I always felt like I was very distant from them. Like whenever they have meetings, I'm never there. They always meet at a dim sum restaurant and I'm never there. And then, you know, I just felt like, you know, as writers, we're very introverted. So I thought it'd be nice to find a space where we could share and build a sense of community, like you mentioned. And then when you asked me, I was like, oh, okay, perfect. I was sort of looking around in Toronto, but Toronto's so big, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like, so where should I go volunteer? Like, it's just you know, just, yeah, I had to make a choice. And, you know, you were my editor for my story. I, and I um, thought you communicated, you know, quite clearly, I knew what you wanted. And I was like, okay, you know, you seem like a good person to work with. Like, we, we didn't really know each other at the time, other than over email, like editing a story. But then when I met her face to face, I was like, okay, you know, this seems pretty cool. So it was just, um, we went out to dinner. Yeah, we went out for dinner. We had some drinks. <laughs> <lose> it. <laughs> and your, your son was there. And you were, you were yeah. <laughs> trying to keep him occupied while we talked shop. It was great. It, was, it really felt like the, the impetus for something good. And then we just gathered, you know, like a snowball. We've been gathering good people as we've gone. Yeah, yeah there's been lots of good energy just gathering people as we go along. But yeah, well, oh, yeah I want to correct you on one thing. I'm not doing my undergraduate in creative writing. I'm just doing a certificate. My husband says I'm banned from collecting more degrees. I did consider doing a master's, but he said no. So unfortunately, when you're in a marriage, you know, you got to support each other, right? That's funny. <laughs> you can only have a degrees then. Coincidentally, I'm also banned from, from gathering any more degrees. I got most yeah. of the PhD. Well, maybe when you retire, maybe we can get free free degrees, right? Isn't that what happens when you're 55? <laughs> <laughs> so let's just pick up some honorary doctorates, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's been uh, so great working with Jeannie. Yes, we're, we're going off topic, yes. No problem. Um, so the, the word community has come up uh, a lot in the previous answer, and I feel like it's going to come up again in this next question. But Canadian Authors Toronto is a membership-based organization what do you hope people get out of their memberships that makes it worth signing up? Well, I had this conversation with uh, some of my indie author friends and they were sort of like, well, what do you offer that we can't find on the internet is pretty much what they asked me. Right. Um, I think part of it is, well, before COVID having our in-person events and like just making a connection with people in order to foster that sense of community. I think it's a little bit harder online, I have to admit, because there's something missing when it's just on a Zoom call. But I think, you know, our slogan of writers helping writers, like we want this to be a place of learning, right, to help other writers. And because we're writers ourselves on the exec, like we always talk about what programs can we offer, they'll offer value or else what's the point of paying 
money to join an organization, right? So mm -hmm. we're always trying to do better and offer things that people will think it's, you know, worth coming back to. So. Yeah, it, I feel like it's like I've been able to find my writing family here. And I, that's what I hope for people to get is that sense that they've made some connections with people who will have their back as they go through this, like often punishing, you know, process of getting your drafts out, seeking input, you know, dealing with the inevitable flood of rejection until you get good enough to start seeing some acceptances. And then depending on whether you're going to self-publish or work with a hybrid or, or you insist on traditionally publishing, like you, you'll have different paths and along each of those paths, it helps immeasurably to have fellow travelers who know exactly what you're going through. Like I remember trying to explain to my mother and some other relatives, like the concept of a good rejection and only other writers fully get what it is to receive a good rejection, a rejection with actual feedback that encourages you to think that you might stand a chance if you actually revise your work, you know, so we get used to these concepts that we, we have to have people to celebrate with and reasons to celebrate. And I just, yeah, I feel like we can offer that. Now, Jeannie makes a good point. Like, is it worth it to pay for it? Well, at the national level in the Canadian Authors Association, there are other things that you are entitled to as a member of the association that include things like you can get health insurance, for example. You can also gain access to really terrific webinars on every conceivable aspect of writing and publishing. You have access to an array of contests and publishing opportunities. And in the, at the branch level, we also, um, that's one of the things that we've been talking about wanting to add fairly soon is some sort of publishing opportunity or contest. And then at the national level, there's the, the Whistler Independent Book Award, which in my sense of it is quickly catching up to the Rubri Book Award in terms of the respect and the prestige that it's coming to enjoy um, because it gives excellent feedback to all applicants and is one of the reputable indie book award contests in a field that is unfortunately quite full of non-reputable ones. So it's a place you can go with your work to get excellent feedback and the possibility of winning prizes um, and recognition. And at the branch, we have writing circles, which has been a place where I've made some of my strongest friendships with other writers. You can attend our monthly program meetings. We have at times brought in very high profile writers to share their work and their wisdom. Um, and at other times, we've just held open mics to kind of get to know the community better. And now, thanks to you guys, Brandy and Chris, we also have this podcast. And this is a place where our branch members and potentially down the road, also those in the National Association across the country can go to be interviewed by you and to be able to share their work with a new group of readers. So lots of practical things and then just family. Launching the podcast is exactly what we wanted to add to the organization is a chance to give new members and existing members a platform to reach audiences that they might not otherwise be able to reach. Yeah, you and have I myself, an amazing job. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chris and Brandy, for this. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I've been a member now, I think, for three years, maybe, maybe four, but three for sure. And I've not regretted any single moment of it it's it's been amazing so thank you it's been about two years and uh i keep getting more opportunities you know it seems like every month with national as well on the national website there's a membership directory right so anybody who's one of our members gets their profile on there and you can say what type of work you're accepting and what genres and i have heard from different members that they have gotten people reaching out to them from seeing mm -hmm. them so come up just from being a member sometimes because your name gets out there more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like this month having the open mic, I think very few writers, like if you're not professionally published or if, you know, you haven't been around the circuit, like it's very rare to have an opportunity to read your own work. So by offering people this chance, it's the way to practice, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, let them get out there and give it a try and see if they like it or maybe not, but at least give it a shot. Yeah, and it's a very safe environment, too, for trying mm -hmm. out your presentation skills and getting comfortable with, you know, working a, 
a, a microphone in a room and, and just using your voice to communicate warmth or to do voices within your, your fiction, whatever you need to do, you can practice it with your family of writer friends and you won't feel embarrassed because everybody's learning. We're all learning. It is a really warm space that way. Very inclusive. Exactly. So what would you guys say is your vision for the Toronto branch of this mm -hmm. organization? Tough one. I think overall, we want to be, as Lee mentioned, a safe place. We want to have a stronger brand recognition, I guess, for Canadian Authors Association, a little bit of prestige to be part of this. So people know that, you know, you're part of a good organization. But overall, I think it's important that it's a place of knowledge as well, right? So people know, you know, if they need help with something, there are people available that will be able to help them if they're willing to ask the question. That's a really good point. And that, that speaks to some of the initiatives that I hope that we can manage to get going as we continue to grow. Because really, we started from the ground and we've, we have done a lot. We've added writing circles. So that's a very practical thing that people, you know, writers, members of our branch can can um, submit their drafts and get feedback from a group of people that they get to know and they can hone their work that way. But in terms of us being a place of knowledge, just to pick up on what Jeannie said a second ago, I would love to see us develop a kind of a mentoring program at some point. And we have talked about allocating some of our existing resources to bringing in a strong writer and teacher who can do some coaching, some writing coaching with our members, possibly one-on-one -on -one mentorship and other forms. Uh, it, it remains to be seen exactly what form that would take, but I would love to see us drawing on the incredible resources that we have in the city for and finding a very successful writer who can help to guide our members through the various levels of their own development. But in terms of overall vision, um, we're, I think we're probably gonna talk about this later, but I really want us to do the best job we can of reflecting the actual diversity of this city as a, a writing community. And there's work to be done in that area. Great, that's a great answer. Um, it takes me really right into our next question. As you know, around the world right now, awareness is high about racial inequality and systemic racism. I know that when Chris and I started as co-hosts of this podcast, we made a pact to each other to be a platform of equality, to give all of our members an equal opportunity to promote their work and to do our best to stand against oppression. So given how important an issue this is right now, Perhaps you could say a few words about our branch's official stance. Uh, sure. So recently um, we put together a diversity statement and we posted it on the Toronto branch website. I uh, actually would like to give a little bit of a shout out to Anne Walk, one of our former exec members, because at one point, you know, she really added to our discussion about, you know, why don't we have any statements? like this on our website and then we started talking and then I mean it took a while but we finally put together something which we thought represented our group and we put it out there because we think it's important to let people know that having these ideas being a part of a diverse group and having an inclusive culture uh, we believe it improves creativity and innovation and that no matter who you are that you're represented and obviously, it's, it's their words, honestly, like, but putting into action is harder. I think it's a long term kind of vision. Because I mean, let's be honest, right now, we don't represent every single person out there within our exec, you know, because it's, it's a volunteer executive board, but we want to make it safe and inclusive and let people know that we have this outlook so that they feel like you know if they want to represent their group they can come and join us no problem like it's a place where you know discussions are open and we won't frown upon different ideas and we feel that having a statement out there will just let people know that we're trying to be reflective of Toronto as a city which is a very unique multicultural diverse environment so that's why we put together the statement. Tremendously important statement. For the last year and a half, Jeannie and I, and, and increasingly in, dis in discussion with the whole executive committee, have been trying to do a better job of 
representing the incredibly diverse uh, writing community of Toronto as a whole through our actions. So we have this statement now, but I think we've already been, we've been talking about this for a year and a half. We've been trying to figure out, well, what, were the Canadian Authors Association is the oldest writing association in Canada. It's approaching its hundredth year of existence and would have had a big in-person conference if not for COVID this coming summer. Why is it that it sometimes feels like our membership, especially in the Toronto branch, it's hard to discuss the whole country because there are so many differences across the country, but certainly in Toronto, there shouldn't be any question of our being able to draw from the diverse communities that make up the overall writing community with its many different facets and forms and subgroups within Toronto. We should be able to meet and work with and befriend and write alongside and help support each other. And so far, it's like it hasn't necessarily been happening. So what we've tried to do over the last year and a half is at times when there is nobody in our association or in our branch already who could lead a monthly program meeting on a particular topic, we have gone outside the association to try and bring in people who better represent the diversity of the Toronto scene. And so a few months ago, we voted that we would try every single month to bring in somebody who could help us expand beyond our own borders a little bit and help us become the inclusive space and the diverse space that we we really want to be and it's going to be a long-term thing but we've done it in terms of programming and i know you um uh, chris and brandy you've also made it your stated goal that each of your podcast episodes will strive for equity and diversity in terms of your choice of guests so we're we are taking steps and we're really um and we're really hoping that the between the actions that we've taken and our choices for programming to offer and also our welcoming of new people into leadership roles on the exec, we're hoping to evolve into what we want to be, which is a fully representative base for writers. Absolutely. It's so important to have organizations that support and encourage and provide a safe place for people from all walks of life uh, and all nationalities. Uh, which listeners, if you'll recall our last episode with Gavin Barrett, we talked a lot about that and uh, how there is systemic racism in the publishing world right here in Canada, despite our great diversity. So there's still a lot of work to be done. And uh, I'm glad to see us taking steps in the right direction. Uh, so moving on to something a little bit more personal. Uh, Jeannie, you're the founder of Dark Helix Press, which publishes risky, innovative, culturally diverse fiction for adults uh, that's considered too edgy for other publishers and raw, truthful nonfiction told in no-nonsense styles. Uh, sounds amazing. It's totally the type of work that I like to read. But can you tell us a little bit more about what drove you to start that press? Well, to be honest, I started the press because I couldn't find a publisher for my the first book I wrote, which was a called The Undead Sorceress. It's an East Meets West vampire book. So um, I wrote it and I was shopping it around and I was being told that vampires are European in origin. So the vampires in my book are a mixture of European and Asian mythology. So it was a bit too confusing for the marketing people, I guess. And so what I did was I did a Kickstarter and I did a Kickstarter. I raised some money, you know, ed paid for some professional editing and I started a company, Dark Helix Press, because I was thinking, you know, I'll help publish other people that are stuck sort of in the same box uh, as I was before. But I have to admit, you know, since starting it in a way, you know, I kind of understand why it happened. Publishing is a business and if a publisher can't make money, they're not going to take the book. So being a small press, I think, in a way, we're almost not in it for the money because we'll never be able to compete with the big publishers anyways for this revenue. But it gives us more creative uh, freedom that we can take on whoever we want and just publish them because, you know, if it makes money, that's fine. But it's more 
that we want to get our stories and messages out there more than anything else uh, to share our creative vision with other people. So that's how I started the press. And uh, it's been, you know, it's a small press. But if I want to grow bigger, I have to admit, like, you know, then the next step would be grants and whatnot. And I'm not sure if I have time for that right now. <laughs> Maybe in You're the pretty, future. Pretty busy as it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's already pretty busy doing Canadian Authors Association stuff. And I do stuff for Asian Canadian Writers Workshop and then even my own writing. So, you know, it's one of the things I do, but I do love doing it. I think after doing it and doing some editing for other people, you know, and publishing books, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but I think it's worth it in the end. But it's just, you know. And, and really, in a, in a way, um, well, not even in a way, really, what you described there of what drove you to start the press is a perfect example of systemic racism in work in Canada, right? Because... Asian vampires can't apply to a small portion of this country because there's an awful lot of Asian people here. Well, I mean, it, yeah, it was like a, it had both type of mythologies, right? European mythology, Asian mythology. But I think it's really a reflection of me, like as a Asian person growing up in North America, really, is what it is. I mean, if I was in Asia, I'd write about, you know, Asian vampires and then well anyhow but um but I had sent it to many publishers all over the world I think in Canada I think I only queried one or two I sent it mostly to U.S. British publishers like wherever I could send it and also another barrier is you know the whole agent thing right I don't I don't have an agent so it makes it even harder to get your foot in the door it's almost like you should be famous my aunt was telling me you should be famous before you even try selling anything because what's the point who's going to read it right so there's a lot of barriers to getting published. And, well, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you started your press to help others. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Like <laughs> self-publishing, as much as it gets sort of a bad name, it's a lot of work to do it properly. I mean, I know there's a lot of terrible self-publishing stuff out there, but to do it properly, it, it's a lot of work. Like, I mean, I'd rather just sell my manuscript as well and just have someone else worry about the cover and the formatting and all that stuff. But, you know, it doesn't happen, right? So... So you do what you For can. Sure. Yeah. And are you working on anything new right now that we can learn about? Lately, I'm putting together a book of short stories. I found there's an open call for some diverse short story manuscript. I, I think it's in a UK company. So I'm putting together a book of science fiction stories. And yeah, The Blue Sun was a short story I'd worked on for the last two years before I entered it into the contest for the Chinillo. So that was exciting to win. Although I admit my mom just kept asking me how much money I won. I said nothing. She was a bit disappointed, but I'm like, well, that's okay. So yeah, working on the, also working on the second vampire book with my writing group, part of the Canadian Authors Association. It's a nice small group. So you could get better feedback and have more in-depth discussions than a larger writing group. So it's nice to be able to be uh, doing that with uh, some of the members. That's online right now, right? Yeah, that's online. Yeah, we do it through Zoom. So yeah, if you're a member of the Canadian Authors Association, you can definitely look into the writing circles and you can join online now, really. So there's nowhere to, well, there's nowhere to go. So, you know, so we can share our stories <laughs> and discuss. I keep meaning to join you for the writing circle, but I've said <laughs> I'm last few years and I haven't yet. So <laughs> one of these days, one of these days. One of these days. Yeah, I think doing homework every month, you have something you have to hand in, so. Mm-hmm. So Lee, you're an editor with Iguana Books and Iguana is a hybrid publisher. So we're hoping you could tell us a little bit about why an author might choose a hybrid publishing company and what it's like working as an editor. Sure. So a hybrid publisher is a really, really great option for anyone who has tried to find an agent, is not yet at the point where they're able to get one, but really, really wants to get a book out into the world and get, have it be published in the best possible format with you know professional editing, professional proofreading. Uh, we never skip that step. We have high quality standards and we always do an edit and a proofread by different people, fresh eyes on a manuscript, professional interior design, professional cover design, 
and then help with distribution to the hundreds of booksellers that we have contracts signed with uh, around the world. Primarily, you know, the big ones, you know, are Amazon and, and uh, Apple Books and Barnes and Noble and Chapters and Go. But we also have hundreds of other contracts with smaller booksellers around the world and uh, also libraries, um, including like university libraries and municipal libraries everywhere. So it's a great way for an author to get a book into the world that for whatever reason, the traditional publishing system has not been able to accommodate. And there have been such huge structural changes within publishing over the last decade or more that a hybrid publisher is now serving a really necessary function because publishers have smaller and smaller margins to play with and they are rejecting more and more books and they are also giving less in the way of you know hand holding and publicity and marketing than they used to give so all of a sudden there's this shrinking set of opportunities within the traditional publishing world and what we're finding is that a lot of very accomplished authors with with many publications behind them and at, at the level of like jur literary journals and so forth and and even some authors who have published traditionally are finding that particular books you know like we um are are somehow not of interest to their big publishers so they're winding up with us we have a wide range of different people who come to us some of them have never published traditionally others have published 17 books and have sold millions of copies. Um, we are on October 7th about to publish the first collection of short stories by an author named Jack White from BC, who is the author of 17 different historical um, novels that have sold millions of copies around the world. And he came to us because Penguin really didn't have a way to accommodate his short fiction. They're like, well, you write 700 page historical fiction novels based on medieval history. We're not, we don't know how to sell your short stories. So they come to us. So authors can, may have a variety of different reasons for going hybrid. And one of them is their traditional publisher doesn't know what to do with a particular book, or they may be a new author who is eager to get a book into the world, but to do it in the most professional possible way, but outside the traditional system. And in terms of what it's like working as an editor, it's awesome. It's the best job I've ever had. I mean, I was a sessional lecturer in film studies and I loved grading, which was just the weirdest thing. Anyone who's graded will tell you that that, it, that doesn't exist, right? That that, I'm suppo I su supposed to not exist essentially, that this, this person who prefers grading to teaching. Well, I never loved getting up in front of a classroom but I did love working with the nuts and bolts of essays and with, with uh, the students who wrote them. So now basically editing one book at a time is like getting to spend an entire semester with one student, one author, and then seeing their book come out and knowing that you've contributed in many ways to making it better is one of the most satisfying feelings ever. So it sounds like you ended up doing exactly what you were meant to be doing all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it, 100%. <laughs> well, when you were, you were on the podcast in July and you read a couple of your poems, which were truly wonderful. Uh, so we're wondering, are you working on anything new at the moment? Oh, thank you for those nice words about my poems. Um, so I basically have it. I'm working towards a, a two-year plan. I'm working on a two-year plan to bring out my first book of poems. Um, I was recently a member of Tupelo Press's 3030 project in August where I wrote a poem a day that was published every day on their website all month. And um, as draining as that was, it gave me great uh, momentum and I'm continuing to write poems not every day because that's this way lies madness and lack of sleep. But, um, you know, a couple a week and some of us are holding each other accountable. And with the help of my writing circle members in, in Authors Toronto, I'm also being held accountable for monthly deadlines. And I am gradually, um, you know, I keep putting my work out. I'm uh, sending work out all the time. I've won these four contests recently. And uh, I just feel like it's part of a long-term plan. 
Well, great. It sounds like a, a terrific plan. I'm only surprised you don't have a 10 year plan. You know, <laughs> this poetry book and then the next one and then the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I can only see two years at a time. <laughs> and if that, you know. No, that's great. Well, <laughs> Lee, um, Jeannie, thank you both so much for coming on the show today and um, sharing all of that with us. It's been great having you. Oh, it's been really fun. Thank you so much, you guys. You've done, done such a beautiful job with this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. Thank you, Jeannie. It's been great having you, and we look forward to having you both back again. All right. Thank you. Wow, Chris. So that wraps up our readings and interviews for this month. Uh, we had some wonderful women on sharing some, some great words, some great info. I'm so glad that they could join us here today. Absolutely. It was really great to have all four of them on. I uh, look forward to having them all again and to watching their uh, careers as writers grow and develop. And speaking of that, now seems the perfect time to announce news from our members. Guglielmo Dizia is pleased to announce that his debut novel, The Transaction, published by Guernica Editions, was a 2020 International Book Awards finalist in the literary fiction category. And as you know from the readings earlier in the show, Ellen Marie Francisco and Renee Sproy both have new books out, so be sure to pick up your copy of Ellen's Catastrophic Expectations, Sex, Love, and the Pursuit of Marriage through Amazon and contact Renee for a copy of Life Print in Points from Urbace Press. So we have one last item to mention before we bid farewell. Canadian Authors Toronto will be participating in Indie Author Day 2020 this year as official host, and we need some volunteers to participate as readers. Indie Author Day takes place on Saturday, November 7th. If you consider yourself an indie author who has published at least one book via methods such as self-publishing, hybrid publishing, or small press, this is your chance to share with readers 10 minutes of your book and participate in a Q&A to inspire others with your experience. To volunteer as a reader, please send an email to our Toronto branch co-president, J.F. Garrard. Hello at jfgarrard.com with subject line, Indie Authors CAA Toronto Reader dash your name. Include in the email a JPEG of your book cover, a headshot, and a 50 to 80 word bio with links. Space is limited, so please email by October 1st. Chris, this will be our first year participating in Indie Author Day, and we're very excited to be a part of it. So we hope that some of you reach out to us and, and volunteer to be a reader. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. If any of you, our wonderful listeners, have an accomplishment or upcoming publication announcement, or if you want to be featured on the podcast, please email me at B-A-T-A-N-N-E-R-P-H-O-T-O-S at Z-O-H-O.com or Chris at C-J-G-O-R-M-A-N at gmail.com. And please feel free to send us comments or suggestions about the show at any time. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, Brandy. And that brings us to the end of our fifth episode of Words with Writers podcast. Thank you for being with us this month, and we'll be back with you again on October 24th. Bye, everyone. Bye.